You are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a spiritual journey where each week we explore differing faiths by asking questions and engaging in a discussion with differing faith leaders. That way we can form a mosaic of answers to life's deeper questions, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is there life after death? These and similar questions we'll be exploring over the coming weeks. And we're very honoured today to be joined by Reverend Dr. Harry Eberts III from First Presbyterian in Santa Fe. Welcome, Pastor Harry. Welcome. Thank you so much, Rabbi Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. So let's, let's start with the most obvious question. What is Presbyterianism and what makes it distinct from other branches of Christianity? Well, the word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word for presbyter, which means elder. It simply means that we govern ourselves by elders. We have no pope, no archbishop, no bishop. We get together and work things out, hopefully, hoping that God is really part of that conversation and discern what we need to do together. And so where does authority come from in Presbyterianism? It comes from really trying to discern that will of God and always working through committees and other groups of people, different layers of that with our presbytery, which is the larger organization above the local congregation. And we have meetings and we discuss and we discuss and we talk and we discuss. And so how, if, if your aim is through committee and discussion to determine the will of God, how do you know when you've got that? You know, that's one of the greatest questions. You know, we think we know it and we don't know it whatsoever. And it, it continues after we make a decision, we may have to come back to it. It's really trying to dig deep into Scripture, know those stories, try to figure out where have the people of God been before in this that we might relate to and see how we deal with that today. So this is fascinating to me. Is it possible that God's will could change, that you can come together and say we find God's will here and then five years later say actually God's will is the direct opposite of that? That's really how it works. You know, um, We think God is a God that's uh, dynamic, a God that doesn't just say one word thousands of years ago, and that's the only word that God ever says. We uh, understand that life is fluid, and God is always creating. Uh, the theme, no, the, the logo for Presbyterians is once reformed, always reforming. And so once we reformed back and when we started back in Reformation time, we understand that we are always reforming. We never get it. So this, of course, is very similar to my perspective as a Reformed Jew and a Reformed rabbi. And one of the things I always struggle with is how do I determine what is the Word of God and what is what I want, which I project onto God? And so then again, we have to do that, that deep, deep spiritual work. We have to know ourselves well. We have to know the Scriptures well. And that's how we, that's kind of the, the test we have for ourselves. What is there in Presbyterian thought and theology that has remained constant throughout the time? If you are always reforming, what is it that you can say, but this has been core and is, is always core? I think one is that Scripture is key. It's central to who we are. We need to know the Word, and we need to know those stories. And we always, well, I, I preach every week, and I may preach in the same story every three years with the lectionary. And I see different things all the time. But what remains is that God is present in those stories, we believe, um, but those stories have an impact in different generations. 
So what, what's the authority of scripture for you? Is it a guide? Is it a historical source? Is it the truth? What, what does that mean for you? Well, we have uh, ordination questions for officers in the church. We have elders and deacons and then pastors, ministers of the word and sacrament, we're called. And we all answer the same questions. And the fourth question is um, uh, about who's really our authority. And we have to say, Jesus Christ, we obey Jesus Christ. Scripture is our authority, and we are guided by our confessions, which are all these documents that go back to the Apostles' Creed. So authority of Scripture is below Jesus in the hierarchy of that. We always have to try to figure out what Jesus might be telling us through God. And then Scripture helps illumine that. And we see life and stories and people wrestling with that in those stories. So that's really where it comes from. It's not my, my understanding of Scripture is not that it is just literal and factual, and that's exactly the way it had to happen. That came in the Enlightenment. People thought within scientific age, we need to have everything verified. But before then, everyone took it to be stories, and they took the meaning, the deep meaning out of those stories. Mm. So you mentioned um, some of the creeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- tell us about them. We have, a, we have two parts of our con- constitution. I'm holding in my hand for all those radio readers that can, or hearers that can, <laughs> can see this. It's the Book of Order, and that's part of our constitution. It tells us how to do things. If I have a question about how to do baptism, I can go right here and there. It says, this is what we do, and this is what it means. The Book of Confessions is the second part of our constitution, which is a list of 11 documents that go back to the Apostles' Creed as people were facing great crises in their life and in the world, and they try to figure out who God is in those, those real deep issues that they had to deal with. And so we see a lot of uh, amazing understandings back then that can guide us. But as you note in that ordination question, Jesus is still top. We need to try to obey and follow Jesus. Scripture comes next, but confessions are way down third. And so they may help you know, fill out a picture, but they aren't something we have to say, yes, we have to do that. So I'm really intrigued by this. If um, if Scripture comes second, but you're getting authority from somebody who fe- features in Scripture, how how do you determine the order? How do you determine what to pull out? How how is Scripture not first if you're deriving authority from a figure within Scripture? Right. You know, we we believe also that the Spirit of God is present in the world. And so that may lead us to think that, you know, God is active right now, creating still, creating something new. Behold, you know, the new is here. And so what may be in Scripture written down in words from people 2,000 years ago may not always be the last word. We think God is still dynamic and active and present and uh, interested in this world. So we try to discern that, you know, through spiritual direction, through uh, prayer, through worship, through singing, to just being together in fellowship. So uh, also a question that came up for me when you spoke about the Book of Order, when you said, you know, this is how we do this ritual. Is there one set way that all rituals must be performed, or is there ritual creativity? Oh, there's a lot of creativity, more so now than before. We, we had a revision of this Book of Order. Right now, if you look at the width of this book, it's about uh, three-quarters of an inch. Before we we redid this back in 2011, 2012 or so, it used to be maybe uh, an inch and a half. 
Hmm. And there are a lot of shells and, and must-bees and all those things. And with our good r- wisdom, we realize that there has to be a lot of, you know, why not try this? And this may work. And don't worry about the rules as much as trying to, to live as followers of Christ. So the fluidity of your tradition is really interesting for me, particularly as a Reformed rabbi. Um, Where do you see Presbyterianism going in the future? Or what are the key issues that you think this is something that we're going to be addressing? If, If you are constantly hearing the word of God anew, where is that voice now? Well, for me personally, and for the church, um, it goes back 1,500 years. I have found out that I really am a Celt, uh, part of the Celtic spirituality. That's part of our tradition as Presbyterians. It comes from Scotland. We come from Scotland. And I spend a lot of time in Iona and learning more about the Celtic uh, outlook on Christianity. It was the non-Empire church. It was the church that was more or less uh, excommunicated. Uh, from the the Catholic Church at the time. And so they were pushed off to the far islands of Britain, and there they were to do their own thing. And so I bring that up because I think the future of Presbyterians, I hope, would be that we get back to some of those uh, earlier ideas of who we should be, uh, no hierarchy. And, and we really don't in Presbyterians. We don't have that hierarchy of bishops and so forth. But the Celts had women who were leaders of the community, um, and they were very open to all sorts of people being part of it. Another part is peace and justice. I mean, that has to be our future. If it isn't our future, why are we doing this? You know, we need to be involved in the community. We've always been involved in the community. We need to be involved more and more. Uh, we're no longer in the, uh, on Main Street. We used to be. Presbyterians and other mainline denominations in the Christian faith used to be right there in the middle of all the power, and we aren't anymore. And that's probably a good thing if you think about it because we need to be able to critique what's going on in our government and not be part of it. We can't see as well when we're enmeshed in it. And so I see that as a future that we hopefully find our prophetic voice once again. We've been prophetic in the past. We've been part of a lot of movements. We've brought health care and we've brought education to places and we've been to all places in the world and we have missions in those places. But we are learning that we are all in this together peace and justice and no hierarchy and creation care. Um, That's one of the foremost thoughts of of Celtic Christianity. If we don't take care of God's creation, our own earth, then what are we doing? Right. I am particularly intrigued when you're um, talking about uh, critiquing politics. How, especially in this country, you know, as a British person, you know, we are very um, open in political views in religious circles. Here with the separation of church and state being much stronger, what does that mean for your community in terms of critiquing politics? And I don't mean to specifically ask about your political views at all, but much more, what's the line between religion and politics? How far should a faith community or how far does your faith community go? Well, if you look at the word politics, it really does mean uh, of the citizens of the people. And so um, there will always be um, someone saying, well, you're getting too political or you shouldn't talk about politics. And I'm thinking the whole time, I'm thinking, well, then we're not talking about people then anymore. And we all have uh, our daily lives to worry about and we see what's going on in our world. And if, if we place religion off into a corner and put it in a closet as if it has no say in this thing, then... We miss out on the wisdom of the ages. And so 
Um, I, I try my best not to make anything political in worship at all, you know, but I, I really turn to the prophets who are dealing with the same kind of issues we deal with for years, every year. We always deal with these issues, but they spoke out. Um, I, I try to um, bring up the words of Jesus. I try to dig deep in those stories to see how he was that person who really did critique uh, the society, the empire, the Roman Empire back at the time. You can look at it from that perspective. Every story about Jesus is from the point of view of being the oppressed, living with the oppressed people, and how do you deal with a Roman Empire crushing down on you? So for you, would it be right to say that um, that you can be political without necessarily being party political? Oh, yeah, no, exactly right. We don't want to be party political at all. But we do want to lift up issues of justice and of the poor. We don't hear about the poor much anymore. Um, probably never have a whole lot. Um, but we hope to more and more because there are more and more poor. And so uh, if we don't have a voice in that, then I say again, what really is our purpose besides uh, coming to worship and being in fellowship and so forth? We need to have our voice out there. We're going to take a pause. Um, when we come back, we'll be uh, looking at your mission statement for First Presbyterian. Um, you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich and my guest, Pastor Harry, from First Presbyterian. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich. My guest uh, today is Pastor Harry from First Presbyterian. The, the mission statement for First Presbyterian is this rather wonderful slogan, which I enjoy. Behold, be still, become. What does that mean for you? Behold, be still, become. Well, first of all, it's short, so I can remember it. You know, <laughs> it's always hard sometimes when there's a whole paragraph and you have no clue on how it ends. But we made it short, and we kept it with B words, as you know. It, it's easy to remember, again, some B words. But the Bs have a lot of great words in them. And one of the great words we've lost is behold. We don't say behold too much anymore. In our new Revised Standard Version of the Bible that we have in our pews, they changed the word behold to look or see, hmm. and it loses all the depth to it, all the majesty, all the mystery to it. And so we want to recapture that because we think God is about mystery and, and you know, things beyond us, and, and words to describe God are not the words we usually use hmm. And as we try to figure out who this God is. And so behold then becomes... I have an image of us just having our hands open wide saying, oh, my gosh, look at this. Or, my goodness, you know, I'm part of this God's creation. Mm. And so that's the behold part, the, the awe, the wonder, the intrigue, the excitement. The, um, do you need to be still to behold? You know, you don't. You can, you can dance if you're a dancer. You can do art. You can sing. You do all those things to behold. There's no doubt about it. But... Scripture tells us in the Psalms, Behold, be still and know that I am God. Well, what does that mean? Maybe in this society of ours, so busy, so noisy, so active, that maybe a reminder to be still may help us understand that maybe in stillness we begin to understand ourselves better and then understand the other better. And, and for me, this is so intriguing for me. This is very similar to, for example, Abraham Joshua Heschel, a famous Jewish uh, theologian, talking about radical amazement, the the awe, the wonder, just of being alive. When we in Judaism, when we wake up, we say blessings. We say blessings before anything, before eating anything, or after doing things, because and traditionally we say a hundred blessings a day. 
because we're so filled with the mind-blowing reality of life, the inconceivable surprise of being, I believe he says. Um, but for me, going from there, you go from there to become. Becoming what or who? Well, we always know that we are not there. We haven't reached that level to say, ah, oh, we made it. Never. It never happens that way. But become is that great word with, a, with no real ending on it. There's no period on the end of that word. And it says that we can become different people. We can become transformed people. We can become people that we never thought we could become. But it doesn't mean we stay the same all the time. And so it's just a word that kind of opens up a window for us to say, oh, there's life out there and we don't know where it's taken us, but we can become something more. And what does that mean for a person's relationship with God? Because God is so clearly central in your tradition. Is that becoming different in a different relationship with God or is it becoming closer to God or, or is this not necessarily theological? Is this more personal? Well, it can be all of the above. And, you know, being a church logo, uh, tagline, it, it really does center in on how we relate to God, how God relates to us, really. And so we hope that as we move together on this journey, we will become um, better in tune and in rhythm um, with God's Spirit. We can learn more and more every day um, the stories that that come from our tradition, and that it kind of takes a veil off some of the um, questions we have about God because people ask them all the time. Mm -hmm. Let's ask those same questions and see what they came up with and see what we want to come up uh, with with other answers to it. So um, as I always like to say, it is a journey. Uh, We mention that in worship every Sunday. We'll continue our journey, and then we'll come back next week after we've walked some more. so that's, that's, it's open out there for us. So as, as individuals and as the community becomes, are there set answers? When you say you're asking questions, are there set answers where you, whereby you say, well, that is a, that's within the Presbyterian tradition, and is there a boundary whereby you say, that's really not, that's something else? Is there a boundary there, or has it become whoever you are, whichever your direction? Oh, I think there's, there's some kind of boundaries, although one of the, the great phrases of our tradition is that God alone is Lord of the conscience. And so I cannot go up there to preach every Sunday and say, and this is what it is. This is the truth. This is all you need to know and believe it or else. I don't do that, of course. Of course I don't do that. Because God alone is Lord of our conscience. And so God is always working within us um, and, uh, and moving as we move. Um, and so, you know, the boundaries, I would hope the boundaries would be um, what we see in Scripture, the boundaries of how God relates to us and we know we relate back. And those covenants, uh, those great covenants of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. you know, that, those are our covenants as well. You know, God will be our God, will be God's people. What does it mean to be God's people? Well, we hope to act with justice and mercy and loving kindness and so forth. Those are some boundaries that we always need to keep. I want to ask you about when you say um, God is Lord of the conscience. Um, and one of the things I was wondering about was um, while there is some, certainly some similarity between um, our faith traditions, particularly in terms of the progressive nature and, and uh, finding God's word in you and becoming something else, not just being bound to the past. Um, I want to ask you, it's the word Lord. 
You know, Reform Judaism in particular, we've really tried to move away from masculine pronouns of God uh, and so on. Is that possible in Presbyterianism? Is that something that's happening in the community? Is that welcome? Or is that, are you bound by, for example, um, patriarchal models based on the past? And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean, in terms of particularly theological, um, you know, you've mentioned Jesus, for example. Is it difficult to to talk of divinity um, when there is already a, a masculine figurehead there? Yeah, as we go through the years, we do remember those uh, phrases, like I just said, Lord of the conscience. We don't use the word Lord in our, our daily lives. It may be, you know, oh, Lord, God, or so forth in, in a worship service. But we don't really have an understanding of what they meant by Lord, you know, back in the day when they were using that. You know, there were lords that had power over you mm-hmm. back in those days. Mm-hmm. But the a, a depth of that word Lord goes back to something about bread, if, if you go back and do, the, um, do all the work to get back to that, that little kernel of what that word comes from, it has to do with bread. And I was told that, some, and I always forget it. But there's something about a Lord provides what is nurturing to you, what, what gives you life, when, when a Lord that is a compassionate Lord. And so there's a sense there that we can identify with. But otherwise, I'm, it's totally foreign to me. You know, that we as Presbyterians, in my tradition, my part of the Presbyterian Church at least, we are always striving to get the right language, mm-hmm. always striving to say, no, that's a, kind of a patriarchal uh, way of understanding things, and that's not where we are today. That, that's only one side of the coin. That's the more power side. We need to look at all sides and make sure we include everybody in that. So we're constantly trying to say, what word shall we use? Mm-hmm. See, when you say, you know, we might in prayer say, Lord God. Yeah. And I can understand the perspective that Lord might be a merciful Lord who provides, but could also be a Lord who has power over life and death and is a very patriarchal um, um, metaphor of power. Um, is, are there terms that are used uh, in the Presbyterian community now that move away from words like Lord in prayer? Um, um, or is that... Or is the word taken and redefined? You know, we have many, many ways to, uh, to try to get close to talking about God. And it's a God of many names, and it's still beyond all names. It's a God that I would say God of life. I would say God of compassion, God of mercy, God of whatever. And, and try to keep away from all those kind of charged old words that bring up all sorts of images for people. You know, we say our Father because that's the prayer we were given. But, you know, it would make uh, it easier for me sometimes just to say, you know, our, our God in heaven, our God in present with us now, our God, whatever. And, but, they, but Jesus understood God as Father, hmm. but not Father like Father, but as Father as Daddy, as Abba. You know, and that's the Aramaic word that he uses. And that's sure. a totally different word. That's the kind of uh, father that has you on his lap and, you know, you, he's bump, um, you know, bumping you up and down his knee, you know, right. and having a good time with you. But, but still, I mean, you mentioned that's absolutely right. You mentioned, you know, our father. What, how, would it be difficult to use our mother? And, and when, I, when I ask that, what, I, what I'm asking is, what is the bound, you know, when you said that that was the prayer that's been handed down to us. So are there limits of where you can change the metaphor? Because this is something that we struggle with in Judaism, uh, Reform Judaism. We can change the 
uh, translation of the Hebrew, uh, which is much easier. Instead of translating the, the four-letter name of God, instead of translating it as Lord, we can translate it as eternal, which actually has uh, much more basis in the, in the root letters themselves or, or omnipresent one or, or anything like that. But because it's been handed down for you for so long in English, does that make it impossible to, to change? It doesn't make it impossible, but every time we try to change it, we hear about it. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, people are so used to that. But then we need to kind of startle people and, and say it differently to really take into account what was Jesus right, really trying to tell us about who God is and how we live this life. And so I'm open to all those changes. And, I, and people are, but it takes time. Mm. Um, yeah, we're moving away from some of these um, ideas about uh, you know who God is a male male male, and it is enriching us greatly. In, in the last couple of minutes, let me just ask you: you're you're currently the vice president of the ILA, the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe, and and it's clearly important work for you. Why? Why is interfaith work so important? Well, Presbyterians have always been in the midst of of all types of faiths and denominations. Always, that's that's our tradition, and to not be involved means that we're not really doing what we're called to do. And so I am most at home in being in an interfaith atmosphere. And I can learn about who I am better. The, the faith part I inherited from my family to be Presbyterian um, by understanding others, others as well. And so um, I take great joy in that and, uh, and, and delight to know that we are all the same. We have different language, perhaps, for what we're trying to get across or, or strive for. But my goodness, uh, there, there's, there's no wall between us. Um, so what does that mean when you say we're all the same? Because I kind of pride myself on being different. Um, and, and I don't mean that in an objectionable way, or at least I don't intend to. But um, if we're all the same, why don't we all go to the same faith community? Is it just language that divides us, or is it worldview? Oh, we've, we've come from different cultures, different families, different traditions. We've come from different parts of the country and different parts of the world, as you have. And so um, I think, I, I believe God delights in diversity, you know, and there's all that diversity out there. But when you get down to a human soul, you know, we all more or less can identify with one another, you know, in many ways, the things we yearn for, the things we have trouble with, the things that give us pain. Mm. And so that's where I'm trying to come from. But I, the diversity part is where there's, uh, you know, just a whole wealth of uh, joy out there. Well, well, the same as human beings per se, but after that. Yeah. So then that leads perhaps to our, our final question about differing faith communities and truth and where does truth lie? So if interfaith work is so important for you, where is truth particularly in an interfaith context? Oh, but that's the last question. It I, is. I think the time is really <laughs> running out right now. And, you, know, I, you know, truth is always a, a difficult word to use in a sentence because one person's truth is somebody else's, what? Are you, are you serious? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I know Jesus um, was asked the question, well, actually, when he was up in front of Pilate, you know, before he was crucified. And, uh, and Pilate asked the question, what is truth? When he, in our tradition, right. we feel he was looking at truth. And so our truth, I think, comes through our stories, come through who Jesus was, always knowing that that truth is elusive enough to make us want to look for deeper truth. So um, I can't give you a list. But uh, No, that's great. I yeah. really appreciate that answer. Thank you so much for being here to answer today's questions. Um, I really hope you'll return another time to share more of your insights. 
Um, you've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance. Thank you to our guest, Pastor Harry from First Presbyterian. Until next time, keep searching. <laughs>